This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Pop, if only the German striker had a name that lent itself to catchy headlines, but two classic strikers finishes from Alexandra Pop means it's England v Germany in the final of the Euros, which means we can look forward to three days of wholesome content focusing on the footballing rivalry between the two nations. We'll do all that where will the final be won and lost stuff and see how much Barry wants England to lose. Also today, Arsenal and Liverpool strongly represented on the panel. And good news for Car Park fans, Ben Fisher's here with a quick-fire look ahead to the EFL, which starts on Friday night. All that plus a huge wire apology from me, a huge Grant Holt apology from me, and Jens Lehmann takes a chainsaw to his neighbour's garage. All that plus your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendenning, welcome. Hello, Max Rushton. Hello, Salon Andy Hickman. Hello. And welcome, Tim Stillman. It's been a long time, Tim. Yeah, it certainly has. Thanks for having me back. I think the last time I did this was in in the kind of the plush studios at The Guardian. So, yeah, excited to be back. They've been completely mothballed. And now we just sit in our own houses, which is very useful if any of you are planning to emigrate to Australia and want to keep your jobs. Um, uh, let's start then with uh, Germany beating France 2-1. Um, uh, Tim, we had Anita Asante on yesterday saying... Uh, she had to play against Alexandra Pop and she still has nightmares about it. And we saw that yesterday just quite how good she is. Yeah, absolutely. Her, her story is really interesting, actually, because she was injured for a year um, coming into this tournament. And so Germany haven't, well, they haven't been able to play with her for quite a long time. And, uh, and in fact, this is her first ever Euros, weirdly enough. She missed 2013 and 2017 through injury. So in a weird way, despite being one of the best players in the world over the last kind of eight years or so, she'd kind of forgotten, really. Um, And Germany have got all these other brilliant forwards, most of whom are now sitting on the bench, not able to get into the team because of Alexandra Pop. So, yeah, she she worked so, so hard to be able to get into not just the team in this tournament, but just to get in the squad at all. And, yeah, I mean, she's clearly been one of the best players in the tournament. I think you can see how much it mattered to her to get here, not just to get into the tournament, but to make an impact as well. Um, yeah, so five, six, six goals in five games now, which has never been done before. And Solon sort of made me feel, you know, when Cocoms say they had no right to get that ball, like both both goals, it sort of felt like she really wasn't favourite to get either of them. Yeah, I think that's that's her like symbolic of how she's performed in this tournament. Right, it wasn't necessarily her right to get in that team are coming in from injury and they're yeah like Tim said the journey to get into that team is just is kind of unbelievable and then to perform how she has done has been incredible so the the two yeah the two goals I think I think the defender has to do better for the first one and rent like where is Wendy Renard at that for that first goal completely flowing out which you don't really expect from her um, and then the second header was just phenomenal I think that is what she has though she's got so much power she, she can beat people in the air she can beat you getting first to the ball and I think that's what's going to be really interesting on Sunday against Millie Bright which arguably two of the best players in the tournament coming up head to head. I just wanted to jump in on that as well with Pop because the other thing that Pop's done she solved a real problem for Germany I've watched a lot of Germany over the last two years I mean, if Germany win the final on Sunday on penalties, it will officially be the most German tournament win of all time. Because the story <laughs> is basically the last two years, they've been completely underwhelming. 
um, haven't really had a clue what they're doing. They haven't had a balanced team. That like the issue they've had is for those front five positions, they've genuinely got ten players who are all brilliant, and they haven't found a balance. But Pop coming in has kind of balanced that front line for them, and she plays with Svenja Hut, the right winger at club level, and has done for years and years. Her and Hut have played for Wolfsburg for about 106 years or something. So they've got a real chemistry. And it's really, really sorted out a problem. So Germany, completely underwhelming for two years. The second the tournament starts, they decide that they can put it all together, which sounds um, ominous, really, doesn't it? It really does. I, I liked... Um... I like Wendy Renan taking it a step further. Normally, you know, when when you know you lose your your player or you or you, or um, it's your fault, you sort of yell at a few people. But she like called the whole meeting of the whole team <laughs> to, to, to say, "What were you all doing? It I can't be that. anything to do with me." I was like, I hope she's taking responsibility before she says anything else. You just in that moment, you've got to be like, "Right, guys, that one was my fault." But let's look forward. I've, I really expected her to do that. Um, Barry, did you? Did Germany's performance give you enough hope that England will get a hiding on Sunday? Oh, I don't think they'll get a hiding. I mean, I, I have been critical of the almost uh, unanimous gushing praise that England have got throughout this tournament. But I suppose thinking about it, they have deserved it because they haven't done a whole lot wrong. I do think they will have a this could be a fascinating final. They could get a very tough game and they could lose. Um, I know France did well enough last night, considering all, you know, the, they've had disharmony in the camp before the tournament, two key players left out. Um, their manager has some feud going on with Leon players that I don't really understand, but such, that's the way it is. Perhaps um, Tim or Salon can explain more and enlighten me. They lost um, Marie Antoinette Cototo uh, to injury. And Wendy Reynard didn't have a very good game last night. She's their iconic player. She, she was at fault for both goals and missed with a far post header from a corner. She should have scored, I thought. Perhaps I'm being a little unfair on her, but... I, I would expect better from someone of her, her stature, uh, both physical and metaphorical. And but I was very impressed with Germany. And th- th- it's Germany, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> I, I don't think if if England if the England men's team won a, a Euros or a World Cup, I, I would genuinely be devastated. <laughs> I will not be devastated if the England women win. But I think it would be disingenuous of me and, and possibly a little sexist to, to root for them just because they're England women. I should, um, I should hold them in the same kind of contempt I hold the men, England men's team in. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be rooting for Germany. Can one of you enlighten us on, on why the French manager doesn't like Lyon players? Um, uh, Tim, do you know that? I don't think anyone knows, but basically this is the story of France. Corinne Diacre falls out with at least two players um, before every tournament. Last time it was Katoto, albeit Katoto was a bit younger, not quite as established as she is now, but she was left out of the last World Cup because she fell out with the manager. And and yeah, so they left uh, Eugène Le Sommer and Amandine Henri at home, who are two of the best players in the world. I'm pretty sure that they, they could have come in quite handy last night. And uh, yeah, like nobody really knows why Diacre keeps falling out with these players why she's holding on to her job um, as a result of this and why she hasn't worked out yet that maybe there's a common denominator in why she keeps falling out with all of these players. Um, it's a mystery. She just loves chaos. Like that, that Diacre just loves chaos. She wants to create it. She she wants arguments between her team. She's, it's absolutely nuts, I think, that I would love to know what is going on behind the scenes to see how, like Tim said, she's still in a job and... How, how she got this far? I thought it was really funny last night. She came out. She was like, you know, it's tough to take, but we do have to stick together post this result. And I was like, were you, were you ever together in the first place? It would have been good if you'd have been together before the tournament, perhaps. And you might have got to that final. And it's a real shame because mismanagement at the top just means that so many of these players' international careers are just kind of 
never going to fulfill the potential that they have. She se- she seems like a kind of the the female equivalent of um, was it Dominic, who was the, the Raymond Dominic, Raymond Dominic, yeah. yeah. the French manager who, yeah, just serially fell out with various players and was a bit weird. Maybe but, she's um, selecting based on star sign as well, because that was one of Dominic's <laughs> things that he selected players based on their star sign. So may- maybe you've solved the mystery there, Baz. I don't know. In, in to what sense he he wanted sort of one of each, or like you know, a, a minimum. You know, I, I can't have I can't have three Sagittarius. <laughs> Got to have Libras on each wing for the yeah, balance. Absolutely, uh, with Russell Grant as his assistant manager <laughs> work, wouldn't it? Apart from Alexandra Pop, um, Tim, who, who should? Who should England be worried about? You know, like how, where is this game going to be won and lost, do you think? Yeah, sure. Germany's midfield is really, really formidable. And an- another thing that happened coming into this tournament that weirdly did Germany a favour, as much as they've struggled to balance that front line because they have too many good players, it's been the same in midfield. And just before the tournament, they lost, I mean, I think their most talented player, Jennifer Marajan, to an ACL injury. In a weird way, that did them a favour because they've been struggling to balance having Sarah de Britz and Marajan in the same team because those two players are very similar, um, play exactly the same position. And to give you an idea of, of their pedigree, Marajan played for Leon, left Leon have signed Sarah de Britz to replace her. So that's the kind of, they've got arguably the two best number 10s in the world. And actually losing one of them helped them balance that midfield. So now they've got De Britz, uh, Lena Magul and Lena Oberdorf, who plays for Wolfsburg. And that is, but for me, by far the best midfield in this tournament. If you put, if you give Spain Alexia back, Spain have the best midfield in the tournament. But that, that midfield three, really, really formidable. And I still, there's still a little nagging doubt in my mind about England's midfield. It, it's worked so much better than I thought it would with Walsh, Stanway and Kirby. But I do still think there are parts of games where they have been, it's probably too much to say passengers, but this is going to be the real, real test of that midfield. And and the thing is, Germany, they suffocate you with that press. And actually, Salon, you know, Bon Mati for Spain showed that, you know, that she sort of ran that game, I thought, against England for 80 minutes at least. And so if the German midfield have a... I don't know if they have a sort of like-for-like similar player, but if if their midfield is at real strength, that could be a problem for England. Yeah, she, Bob Matty just glued herself to Walsh, right? And so much of England's ability to play out from the back and then release the front three comes through Walsh receiving on the half turn and and sending the balls over the top for, for our wingers. But... Yeah, they do. Oberdorf last night had an incredible game. I think she completely shut down that midfield. She's really physical, really aggressive. And I think she, her versus Georgia Stanway is going to be an absolute battle of the shithouses as well, which will be really brilliant to see. I think there was a, there was a challenge last night in the first half Oberdorf made where she genuinely looked like she'd come off both feet and sort of gone two feet in the air for someone's legs. Wasn't even looked at, so... I might be just chatting rubbish, but it looked like the kind of challenge that I was like, that could be a red. Um, but it's exactly the kind of thing that Stanway will do. She'll just track back and she'll she'll put in these challenges where she'll win the ball and hook it from behind, sometimes concede a foul. But her versus Oberdorf in, in the midfield will be a really interesting matchup on Sunday. Solon, at the start of the tournament, I think it was after the first game, we sort of talked about the emotions, you know, the tears before the Austria game. Um, and Tim, you've covered the women's game for years and years and years. I just sort of wonder how how you two will be feeling on Sunday in the build-up to the game, sort of regardless of of how how England get on, Tim? Yeah, look, incredibly emotional. I'm going to the final with my mum. Uh, it's my mum that kind of introduced, well, introduced me to football full stop, but um, to women's football in the kind of mid to late 90s, first time she took me. So that that will be incredibly um, emotional. I'm I'm not usually like a massive like in, in England terms, I'm a complete glory hunter. It's just, it's not even just the tournaments. It's once you get into the knockout stages of the tournaments, all of a sudden you'll find me with a St. George's flag and, you know, dusting off my England shirt from the bottom of the draw. But undoubtedly to me, and, and I loved the Euros last summer and I was at the Denmark game at Wembley, but undoubtedly this does have a little bit of extra because of the, you know, I guess the legacy perspective. And when I was at the Spain game, that's the thing I was worried about most. It wasn't so much about England going out. It was, oh God, if England go out in the first quarter final, like this tournament's going to kind of die on its arse a bit. 
Um, and, you know, because the momentum, you can see the TV viewing figures, they just go up and up and up as it goes through the tournament. So undoubtedly it has an extra edge because of that. And yeah, being at a sold out Wembley for England, Germany final, that is a hundred percent. That's going to be very, very emotional. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've cried a lot throughout the last three weeks. <laughs> I, I have butterflies thinking about what it's going to be on, on Sunday. The, the steps that have, the, the what we're seeing is the product of so much work and energy and labor from so many people that's gone into this tournament to create something and really put what deserves to be a spectacle on its right pedestal. And I think Sunday is the the epitome of that. It's It kind of feels poetic. It feels right that it's Germany. I think it's the two best teams in the tournament. The script written for it to be at Wembley. And almost it feels like the final hurdle for this England team to overcome I feel like if we do do that we get the title of of greatness and I think it's like the deserved thing I'm sorry Barry this is probably absolutely you are hating this but <laughs> if we if we fail and we don't win we're the same old England who disappoint and we, we go out to Germany so it's kind of like the perfect setup and it feels like this is the team to overcome that and I think Sunday yeah it is it is, it is just the product of so so much energy and love that goes into the women's game and what for me I noticed after the Spain game where I was like okay these are the these are the little hints that that change or social change is kind of happening one of my best mates 35 year old man and he is you know his, his friendship group are all men and he rang me after the Spain game and he wanted to talk for about 45 minutes about why Bon Matty was so good why are there no he's a Spurs fan why are there no Spurs players in the England team why can't I get a Spurs player on my back you're asking all these kind of questions and then he was like Salon this is so different to anything I've experienced before my group chat of all the lads from South London are texting saying where oi lads where are we watching the semi-final together what, like are we going to get a pub blah blah in in, in full sincerity and that, that he's like I've never experienced that from my mates before there's not even a, a message in there that's saying oh do you see the goalkeeper or anything like that none of the tropes and he was just like that for me has changed and I, that for my moment I was like when you bring new audiences in, into it with the same credibility and the same authenticity that they would support the men's game in I'm like that's that's the moment of change and this is what getting to the final then creates over and over and over again um, Tim spoke about legacy there and this week is the 10th anniversary of the London 2012 games and at the time there was all this chat about legacy and you had the opening ceremony directed by Danny Boyle which you know uh, trumpeted all that was great about merry old England and that all that legacy talk turned out to be horseshit there is no legacy made due in no small part to the Tory government. Are ye concerned that in 10 years' time there may be no legacy from this tournament uh, as far as women's football is concerned, whether England win or lose? I wouldn't necessarily say England losing would be a failure. I think it's important they got to the final. But, um, yeah, I'm just wondering what you think. Yeah, I think what was such a shame with the London 2012 outcome and follow-up was... The, the whole chat about regeneration and investment in an area of East London right around that that park, which has just become West Ham Stadium. So and doesn't really feel like it's done anything for the surrounding local community. I think with this tournament, perhaps what the step change has been is that the product that people are watching is something that's so enjoyable and is you know for those 35 year old men who've maybe never considered watching women's football before they're seeing something that feels similar to the caliber of men's football that they love so much the technique the physicality the pace of the game etc because of the levels of professionalization that have gone into that in England sort of leading the way in Europe in terms of professionalizing our domestic league and therefore having the national success I think what hopefully you see is investment and obviously it's a massive assumption and, and we're yeah, resting on people then showing up week in, week out at the WSL or being invested in these players, watching it on TV. We've got the broadcast deals now. People can access, they can watch it. 
it's about whether they get down to those stadiums and hopefully because of the caliber of what they've seen this tournament that therefore is the legacy people know the players they've you know Steph from work he's fallen in love with Bon Matty he wants to watch her week in week out there's those are the kind of things that you hope transition which I think is probably the difference to the Olympics obviously which is yeah a completely different ball game with the amount of sports being played. Silon makes uh, several good points there about people watching, but also, and, and there's been a lot written uh, during this tournament about what the England team looks like, um, you know, and for example, England versus Sweden um, on Tuesday night, you know, the friend I was with, we were kind of saying this is like the blonde ponytail derby going on here. Um, but there's there's lots been written about what the England team looks like and, you know, where regional talent centres have shut down and things like that. That will be another important legacy point, I think. What does the England team look like? I mean, next year's the World Cup, so it probably won't look very different than next Euros and the Euros after that. Where are these players coming from? And also not just about the England team. What about girls who aren't going to be England internationals, aren't going to be Lucy Bronze, who just want to play football, might play in the championship? Is the structure there for women as well who aren't necessarily elite talents but just want to play football. Yeah, that's the key. I mean, Ian Wright sort of made that point, didn't he, at the end quite powerfully. But I, the FA's figures say, look, 63% of school schools offer girls football and PE lessons. So, you know, so and, and only 40% of schools offer girls regular extracurricular football. Now, part of that is funding for schools, right? But you would say, and I don't have the percentages for boys, but it's probably near 100, right, for, for both of those things. And so it's girls who watch Russo do that back heel, having the opportunity at, in the not just in the playground but just in PE to go right you're going to play football and that that seems to be a real key part of it and um, before we finish part 1 tim want to hear about your coach journey please um because you went to the semi final and then you had what sounds like the most miserable experience of all time afterwards but maybe you enjoyed it i don't know yeah i uh, all the coaches the earlier coaches were sold out so i took a 4am coach uh, from sheffield back to london um, which was subsequently delayed by half an hour because of the rail strikes. There was lots of traffic. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm 38 years old now. It's probably been about 10 years since I last stayed up all night. Um, I mean, I, I have a two-year-old, so I'm, I'm, I'm experienced at having my sleep interrupted, but to have none at all, um, yesterday was a genuine struggle. I, I wondered if I might have to end up at A&E at some point, actually, with... Um, you know, the heart palpitations and the kind of falling asleep at my desk. So, yeah, it, it was it was an ordeal, but it was worth it. How, how near to the coach toilet were you? And was there, because sometimes the door just is always swinging open and closed at right. the back of the coach. I was on the upper it? deck. I was on the upper deck. But, um, yeah, I, I was worried that I'd have to right. I'd have to use it myself at some point. Um, yeah, so... But fortunately, that that didn't come about. I, I was once on a coach when the driver just began, just went, no number two's on the coach. And you were like, yeah. It's, <laughs> the, it's the first rule of rock and roll, isn't yeah. it? No solids on the tour bus. <laughs> yeah, absolutely unacceptable. Anyway, uh, uh, the Guardian Women's Football Weekly, they're doing a bonus final preview episode tomorrow. Um, and then straight after the final on Sunday night, uh, Faye will be on with Susie Rack, Johnny Lou, Robin Cowan to discuss the result. God, busy day for Robin, isn't it? Surely she wants to, you know, she's just commentated on England winning the Euro. She should be able to go and have a drink, not do a podcast. Uh, we'll be doing a very similar thing on Monday. Um, uh, make sure to get Guardian Women's Football Weekly. You search, subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And presumably, if you're listening to this, you know how to get a podcast. Uh, that'll do for part one, uh, part two. Uh, we'll do a bit of Arsenal and Liverpool and start our EFL preview. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST.
Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, we're going to do the EFL preview in parts two and three. So Ben Fisher joins us. Hello, mate. Hi, Max. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Has your summer been incredibly busy, focusing on, you know, just noting every loan deal and transfer between every EFL club? Yeah, just keeping a little glossary of things. I think, um, yeah, no, slowly cranking into gear and, uh, yeah, looking forward to it now. Okay, good. Well, look, um, we're going to do a bit of Arsenal Liverpool first, so you can you can sit back and just ease your way in to podcasting duties for another season. And um, this bit says Tim Stillman's Arsenal bit. You've tweeted a lot about Gabriel Jesus. Tim, how excited are you to see him in action? Yeah, very. It's, it's a signing I've advocated for for a long time, and it's just one of those rare signings where it just so happens where I used to write about Brazilian football a lot. Like I, I literally watched Gabriel Jesus's debut, so I, I feel almost this weird kind of avuncular attach, attachment to the player because I've been watching him for so long and really, really highly rated him for such a long time. But the, the trouble with that is I now feel personally responsible for the signing. So if it doesn't work or if he misses a goal, I like my Twitter mentions column will look like I am responsible for that. So it do, it does carry like a little bit of extra tension um, for me. But no. Hugely pleased. Are you Mikel Arteta's due diligence? Is that, <laughs> is that what happened? And I, I think, I think quite possibly, yeah. Um, but, but in all seriousness, like the 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 site, Arsenal didn't have a very good number nine for quite a while, and now they have a very good number nine. Call me horribly pretentious, but I think that might help Arsenal to have a good number nine. Uh, I can speak from experience in that I have a very similar relationship to Naby Keita. I and and it's not been fun, Tim. If they don't do too well, I bef- watched <laughs> watched a lot of the Bundesliga in the season. RB Leipzig were challenging in their first season in the Bundesliga. I think it was sixteen, seventeen. I think it was. Um, and when they were, yeah, it was challenging Bayern for the top spot. And I just fell in love with Naby Keita. Tweeted about him a lot. Flew to Germany to go and watch him play against Freiburg. He actually picked up a suspension. I didn't get to watch him. And then when the transfer came through, it was like. Everyone to it was like, oh my God, this is the moment. This is the moment that I've been waiting for my whole life. And then, um, yes, I I'd said that it was going to get PFA Player of the Year and that didn't happen and it still hasn't really happened. So have fun, Tim. I'm sure it'll be, it'll be fun for you. You never know. It reminds me of um, uh, <clears throat> when I was doing fantasy football on Sky, Sean Derry came on. I've probably told this story before, but Sean Derry came on and then the next day Cambridge United sacked their manager. The next day Sean Derry rang me and said, is Cambridge United a good club? And then the next day, the chief executive of Cambridge United rang me and went, is Sean Derry a nice bloke? And I went, yeah. And then the next day, he was the manager of Cambridge United. I thought, well, that can't be it. That can't be, you know, I don't want I don't want any responsibility here. He did okay. Um, Zinchenko as well, Tim, um, is, uh, you know, it's interesting, as Barry's mentioned before, sort of how City view Arsenal and that you know, we're not really worried about you, you can have our cast-offs. But everybody watched Zinchenko play centre mid for Ukraine against Scotland and have decided he's the best centre midfielder in the world because of that performance. He is a very good centre midfielder um, and I think he will be good for you. I, I think he's a really, really good addition. What's interesting about him is obviously he plays like either left back or that left central midfield. Arsenal have an issue at left back in that Kieran Tierney is always getting injured. So actually having a good left back there, again, call me pretentious, think that might work out. But the interesting thing about it is the two positions he plays have been held by such firm first choice picks in Xhaka and Tierney. And I think he just introduces, even in a world where Tierney doesn't get injured, he introduces competition to both of them that they've probably not had before, which which is another reason I think it's a really another really interesting addition. Albeit, I do think that there is an air of truth in what Bass says about Manchester City being happy enough to sell to Arsenal. Um, you hammered Chelsea in pre-season. Um, so that fun. means that means you'll finish above them in the league. I mean, do you do you have confidence in top four? It, it, it feels a stretch, doesn't it? Given the business that Tottenham have done and Chelsea are buying, and Liverpool and City are obviously very good. Yeah, that's the thing. I I think Arsenal will probably do roughly the same as what they did last season in terms of points and things like that, and it will just depend on what the other teams do. So I agree. I think Spurs have added very well. We don't Manchester United are a bit of an unknown quantity. Can they be as bad as they were last season? I mean, that would be a real stretch. Um, and really, I think what we're doing at the moment is we're looking at Chelsea and thinking, can they be this season's Manchester United? Are they the ones that just completely blow up and finish sixth? Because uh, the, the reality is both Arsenal and Tottenham need that. They need one of those two teams 
to just not have a very good season. And if that happens, I think it will basically just be a shootout between Arsenal and Spurs again. Silon, it's the Community Shield on Saturday. I mean, that almost completely passed me by, which I guess is a sign that the Women's Euros is, is getting a lot of coverage. Um, I presume you can shift your focus for a couple of hours on Saturday to Liverpool City? Well, my mate just offered me a ticket and I was like, yeah, I'll do the Wembley doubleheader. I'm very excited oh, for a Saturday, much, Sunday. Too many big crowds and then in two days. He was like, oh. no, it's at Leicester. So you have is to, it? Yeah, it's the King Power. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, he's completely passed you by. It's in Leicester? Wow, okay. Yeah. That's good to learn these things. That's what that's what this podcast is for, isn't it? So I'm weighing up. Do I want to do the, you know, up there and back in a day and then the Euros final for for pretty much the last game of Liverpool's pre-season, really? Um, I think I'll probably go because it will be good. But um, yeah, com- yeah, I honestly, same boat as you. I'm just so fixated on, on the England team. But I will get back into the Liverpool headspace. Although last night we did lose 1-0 to Salzburg. So... We haven't had the best pre-season in terms of results, but it's how much meaning you draw from those, right? There is a rail strike as well on Saturday, Salon, so I can recommend um, a good bus company. (laughs) Uh, 4am, yeah? That'll get you 4am on Sunday, should get you to Wembley for kickoff, yeah. Just keep titties in the morning, Tim. No, ideally, Salon would get that 4am bus, drink all night, and then the, the front page of the sun on Monday would be her in Trafalgar Square with the firecracker sticking out of her nether regions. Absolutely. My my dad actually did, did tell me stories of when he travelled down from Liverpool to Wembley for an FA Cup final and said that they got like, yeah, 3am f- f- coach or something, arrived at Wembley, Tinney's on the coach the whole way there and then had um, played a match, played the same fixture in fans, I think it was Liverpool-Everton FA Cup final, I can't remember, might be wrong, uh, in the car park all morning. So we could recreate that. We could find some Germans, some England fans, get in the car park at Wembley from 8am, tinnies in hand and, uh, and and do that fixture first. And then shove a firecracker. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all Barry wants. Um, all right, let's, let's make Ben do some talking. Um, the championship starts on Friday night. Um, and I think a lot of people, there's a lot happening. You know, the women's Euros, probably people have missed quite a lot of what has happened for sort of your casual EFL uh, followers. I'm presuming if you are a Burnley fan, you know what your fixtures are, for example, and who you've signed and who you haven't. Um, But what have been the sort of key movers in the championship, Ben? Yeah, well, obviously Burnley, all eyes on Burnley and Vincent Company probably more so on, on Friday. They kick off at Huddersfield, who obviously made the, the playoffs last year, 90 minutes away from doing it. Um, I think Huddersfield themselves are interesting. They've lost their manager, Carlos Corberan. They've promoted from within in Danny Schofield, who I think many people are, are kind of worried about them. And personally, I, I think they might they might do OK. I'm not saying they'll make the playoffs, but I think they can absorb uh, those key departures, Lewis O'Brien and Harry Toffolo, who have both gone to Forest. And Schofield, somebody who... I know Huddersfield think very highly of him that he's he's helped people like Sorba Thomas, some of their better players, John Russell, come on, develop through the B team. So I think Huddersfield will be interesting. I think, it, I think it's an interesting first game in the sense for Burnley, company seems it pains to maybe play down how strong they might be, certainly in the opening few weeks. Seems to want to preach a bit of realism. Obviously, they've lost an enormous amount of players. The whole defence is is totally new, basically. And uh, obviously Dwight McNeil and Maxwell Cornet are, are going to leave as well, it seems. So, yeah, lots of change at Burnley. But I think that's exciting in some ways. Um, they want to go back to, I suppose, what they did many years ago in terms of recruitment, bringing in people who can improve and not sort of buy cheap, sell high, but more that way, I suppose. I mean, they spent good money on Scott Twine, the League One player of the season um, from MK Don. So that's an exciting pickup. And... Um, yeah, I, th- I think Burnley, if, if it clicks, I think they'll be really successful. I just think there's going to be probably that initial um, teething period for company and, and his players. That, that, I mean, the defence is very young. A um, couple of Man City players he's got in with obvious connections there. Um, and I think I think that game on Friday actually is quite an interesting one to set the season up because both teams are in well massive transition, really. Normally it takes me about three months to, to, to sort of remember who the Watford manager is. And by that time, they're no longer the Watford manager. Um, but but Rob Edwards from Forest Green seems like a sort of departure from what they've done before. Yeah, massively. It doesn't feel very Watford, does it? I think um, 
I, I personally was surprised Rob Edwards went there for those reasons, really. Um, not probably the most stable club. Watford are saying, and I think the, the message behind the scenes is that it's going to be different this time, but we, we've heard that before. Um, the recruitment suggests maybe not. There's this very left field again. Uh, lot, Watford always seems a bit of a mishmash of a squad whenever you look at them, but even more so this year in the Championship. I mean, um, Ismail Assar, Manuel Dents are still there. Whether they stay remains to be seen. I don't think either of them went away on their pre-season camp. So, yeah, I, 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 Watford, I think I'm probably am the least confident about of those relegated teams. But I think purely because of some of the names they have got and some of the experience they have got, they're, they're probably going to be in the mix. That's kind of sadly how it works. A summer without thinking about Steve Bruce, but he's still there. And it's nice to think about him again. He's at West Brom. Um, it says here, have recruited well. But I don't, I don't, I don't know the Community Shield is in Leicester. I don't know who West Brom have, have recruited. <laughs> Tell me more. Well, West Brom have got in Jed Wallace, who's been, you know, one of Millwall's best players for the last few years uh, and a good person as well, I think, which is helpful at West Brom. John Swift as well from Reading, who again has been, you know, top of the sort of assist charts and weighed in with a few goals. So I think those two should solve their problems going forward. They were quite painful to watch going forward last year. Carlin Grant in that league should sort of hoover up some of those chances that he'll now be hopefully getting. Daryl DK is returning to full fitness, which is a big plus. If, if that can work, it feels like they should be a shoo-in, you know, to, to be up there. The only thing is, as you say, there are question marks over Bruce. I don't think the fans are entirely having him. And it, you know it needs to work because obviously it ended so badly at Newcastle. I mean, if this doesn't work, yeah, can't 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 one set of fans just love <laughs> Steve Bruce for Steve Bruce? It love feels me for like who I am. Wherever he goes now, that that's what will happen. Uh, Barry, how are you feeling about Sunderland? I'm cautiously optimistic. I think they'll be more than good enough to stay up. Whether or not they can trouble the playoff places remains to be seen. I'm not a huge fan of Alex Neil as a, a bloke. For no other reason than he was once rude to me when I asked him a question at a Norwich press conference. <laughs> do you remember what? Do you remember specifically what the question was? No, can't okay, remember right. at all. No idea. But um, and I, I, he may well have, I may well have earned his wrath. But um, you know, I'm sure he doesn't remember that. But I, I'm a great man to hold a grudge, as you well know. <laughs> so, but I, I'm prepared to, um look past that i think he's a good manager he has form and getting teams promoted from the championship but yeah i'd, I'd just a, a season of mid-table nothingness would be more than enough for me um, i just wanted to ask um ben any championship previews i've read they all have uh middlesbrough to, or read or heard because i listened to our our friends uh ali and um george from not the top 20 uh, their, their championship previews podcast is very good. Uh, everyone has Middlesbrough to go up and Reading to go down. Is Would you agree with those assessments? Yeah, I concur with that, Barry. I, th- I think Middlesbrough are the, the ones who, beyond the, I don't know, I suppose the relegated three uh, are, and West Brom, I suppose, in that package. I think Middlesbrough can, can compete. I think they'll challenge. Chris Wilder took over in November, did a brilliant job. Now he's obviously got going to have, hopefully, a full season in charge. I think the interesting thing for them is what's the attacking department going to look like. Marcus Falls is going to join from Brentford, which I think is a really good get. Um, didn't quite happen for him on loan at Hull, but he scored loads of goals on loan at Wimbledon in a short spell a couple of years ago. I thought he might have had more of a look in at Brentford, but probably Tony and just the way Brentford play, usually with that one-up, probably put pay to that. But um, Marcus Falls, if he, if he can score goals for them, they're going to have a real chance. Ryan Giles, they've brought in on the left side in, in that wing-back system. I think Borough looked really sound. And I think Wilder's probably maybe the best manager in that league. So I, I'd fancy them, definitely. And and sorry, Re- Reading, they, they seem, everyone seems to have written them off before a ball's been kicked. Yeah, well, even Paul Lint seems resigned to, to, to Reading going down, which is pretty ominous. Um, yeah, Reading have got problems. I mean, they're under embargo. It just feels... I don't know, quite tired there. I don't know. I think I'd be amazed if they stay up. I think them in Birmingham are in for a real slog, to be honest. Surely Noel and Stephen Hunt will get a few goals <laughs> for Reading this season, won't they? You know, Dave Kitson could 
put in a couple. Michael says, Wigan, Rotherham, Sunderland, whose car park does Ben think will make the best addition to the championship in terms of accessibility, affordability and overall quality of experience? Oh, what a question. I have to say my... What a, I mean, what a question. You're absolutely right. Thank you, Michael. My, my main concern, if I can sort of veer out of the football league, is Aston Villa have just bulldozed the, uh, my prime car park location on Brookvale Road because they're building a new satellite academy. So if any listeners have any top uh, villa parking suggestions, I'm all in because, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm out of ideas are you already. Not like, are, are you not like, do you not get a park if you're covering a game? Do you not get a park? No, Max, this is, that's a myth. Sadly not. That's a myth. Yeah. I, bet he, I bet Henry Winter gets one. I don't, I don't think so. I, I, in fact, I, in fact, it's sad. To, I'm sad to say I can remember walking back to said car park with Henry last season. So definitely not. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah, no, I, I um, yeah, any aficionados in the uh, Aston Villa region come and, come and help, please. Uh, yeah, in terms of League One, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I've been to any of those car parks for a long time. My gut feeling would be Rotherham, but um, yeah, I don't know. You've thrown me. Long, long old drive up to Sunderland. You want a nice bay, you know, just... That gets you into the stadium with a minimum of fuss. Well, I just like the fact that Ben Fisher has a gut feeling about Rotherham's car park. You know, he doesn't know, <laughs> but I could just feel it in my bones. Uh, all right, look, that'll do for part two. Part three, we'll do League One, League Two, and any other business. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, I'm very aware that these Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Very quick little EFL previews. Um, um, so apologies if if you were desperate for hours and hours of League One coverage. Um, uh, where have you got Cambridge United finishing, Ben, in League One? I think they'll do okay. I think, I don't know, maybe 16th, 17th, something like that. I don't think they'll go down. Mark Bonner, as, as you know, Max has done a hell of a job there. I think mm-hmm. second season's always maybe a bit of a big ask. But I think the teams coming up from League Two face an even bigger challenge for me. I think I feel a bit sorry for Forrest Green, who've just been ravaged, really, victims of their own success. Um, we know they're really ambitious, but I think it's a tough job for, for Ian Birchnell, who, they, who they've taken from Notts County and also managed um, Ostersons not so long ago, like Graham Potter. But I think uh, in League One, Sheffield Wednesday probably have a good say in things there. Darren Moore, still maybe not entirely convinced, but probably wouldn't want to say that to his face, although he is very... Oh, his second very, nicest man in football, very, Darren Moore, after nice Limboy Primus. Yeah. Um, I'd just like to say about Portsmouth, actually. Like, yesterday, they got in Dane Scarlett on loan from Tottenham, who many championship clubs were after. I think many championship clubs probably thought they, they would get, actually. And, and for him to go on loan to League One seems pretty impressive. And that follows Colby Bishop, who they've taken from Accrington. Michael Morrison's coming on a free, really good, experienced leader at the back. They've already got uh, Joe Morrell, Ronan Curtis, Marlon Pack comes back to Portsmouth. They look to me like they could. This could be the year for Portsmouth. That, that last couple of days feels pretty significant for me. Uh, now Peterborough have gone down to League One, which is excellent news. Uh, tell me they're going to struggle. Sadly, not Max. I think they're going to have oh, one of those classic seasons where they probably go and rip it up. Going forward, they just have so much. I think lots of League One defenses won't be able to handle that. They're a bit naive in in the Championship, but in League One, they're. I think they should, you know, outplay quite a few teams. They'll be on top of uh, many teams. I think they'll do well. Derby as well. I think will be interesting. Um, obviously, in the, in the third tier for the first time since '86, Liam Rossini has sort of built a squad in a couple of weeks. There, they still want to get new. Um, body through the door. Do you think they'll give? Do you think they'll give Rossini the job? Like, I mean, I really, I really hope they do. I think, sort of, barring a disastrous start, yes, I think they would um, do that. It makes a lot of sense. A lot of the players he's brought in, him and Rooney, kind of worked together in sort of what's the word um, earmarked basically to bring in. Obviously, Rooney then left, and Rossini, you know, his fingerprints were over some of those moves. So he knows a lot of the players, um, and, and I think as, as a coach. 
he's really well thought of and now is obviously his chance to impress as a manager. Yeah, give us some highlights from League Two, please, Ben. Yeah, well, League Two, it just still feels bonkers that Mark Hughes is is in League Two with Bradford. Um, every year, it seems Bradford are kind of set up to, you know, for big things. They don't really deliver, but this year you'd like to think so. I mean, they brought Richie Smallwood in from Hull, who was a regular in the Championship last year, and the recruitment generally looks beyond, you know, what should be an Elite Two team, really. So you'd think they'd go close. Um, Stockport coming up from the National League, real momentum there. Big spenders uh, in the National League, let alone in League Two. I think they'll be up there. Uh, Northampton will probably go close. Obviously, they missed out on goals scored last season, which was a pretty painful ending uh, for them. Oh, it was amazing, wasn't it? It was like a 7-0. A balmy, yeah, seven. a balmy finish at Bristol Rovers. They won 7-0 on the last day and that, that meant Northampton lost out on the final day. Um, I think, yeah, they'll be up there. I think Crawley Town could be an interesting team to watch. They've um, got new owners, an American consortium with roots in cryptocurrency. So it feels like that will go one of two ways. Um, I mean, it sounds like it'll go one of one way. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You say that, Max. And, you know, I've, I read their manifesto and it sounded like awful bullshit you'd expect from crypto bros. And they have this NFT they're, they're selling or about to sell. But they seem to have made a suspiciously astute managerial appointment in Kevin Betsy, who has previous at Arsenal. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, Tim. Yeah, yeah. I, I, sorry, I was just going to make a gag about surely what will happen with Crawley is they'll start really, really well and really high <laughs> and then suddenly just crash down to the bottom of the league overnight. But um, more seriously, yeah, Kevin Betsy was with uh, Arsenal under-23s recently, did a really, really good job, really highly rated there. I also was speaking to... Um... Carol Bates, who's Crawley Old Girls um, like founder the other day, and she was speaking very positively of the crypto investment and ownership. So seems like it's uh, yeah, it's good with the fans and the, the volunteers and the community in that. They're also letting the um, the season ticket holders and NFT holders, which I'm still learning what that means, um, vote on which areas of the squad to strengthen, which feels pretty bonkers. But so far, they have brought in Dom Telford, who was top scorer in the division last year in uh, the Swindon captain, Dion Conroy. So you can't sort of fault them in, in some ways, but uh, I don't know, yeah. If you ask fans who to buy, they'll only buy centre-forwards, right? It's just occasionally a number 10 and just centre-forward. They'll never buy a full-back. Well, well, maybe Cristiano Ronaldo will find a home <laughs> at, at Crawley I think Town. they voted Possibly. for a midfielder and then they brought in a defender and kind of made out he was a midfielder. So. Oh, oh, they just changed what yeah. he was. That's brilliant. I love that. A bit like when Will Young won Pop Idol, but really it was Gareth Gates was the one that they backed. Yeah, that's true. I was, I mean, I was delighted for Will at the time because nobody gave him a sniff, did they? And his voice suited Evergreen more than Gareth Gates, I always thought. Um, what so no salon? You're not having that? Absolutely. It's like the biggest robbery of the 21st century. <laughs> Do you think, what, Gates losing Pop Idol? Yeah. Oh. And I was pleased for Will Young. Um, anyway, Eric says, uh, Mad Jens Lehmann tried to take down his neighbour's carport with a chainsaw. Thoughts? Uh, yeah, so uh, Jens Lehmann reportedly um, took a chainsaw to his neighbour's garage because it blocked his view of Lake Starnberg. This is according to Bilt, uh, the German uh, uh, news outlet. Uh, he has a long-running feud with his neighbour regarding their property He's owned a property by the lake for 15 years, buying it for 4.2 million in 2007. Uh, reports suggest he went next door with a chainsaw and severed the roof beams of the garage. He also attempted to switch off a surveillance camera to go undetected, but failed, and a live broadcast from the camera could be seen by the property's owner. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really have a follow-up question. <laughs> I think if, if I had a house that had a view of a nice lake, and some fucker next door built a garage that blocked said view, I'd be inclined to take a chainsaw to it as well. I'm, I'm curious to know, did the neighbour have planning permission um, or not? I suppose much much of what will happen, Jens, will hinge on that. I, I don't think Jens Lehmann will care whether there was planning permission, <laughs> just, to, just to venture that. I mean, if you, if you have a neighbour who's literally nicknamed, his, his name is prefaced with the word mad, mm in inverted commas, mad Jens Lehmann. I, you know, I, I'm not going to say he brought it on himself, but probably not a big surprise. 
Who, which goalkeeper would you be most surprised to see taking a chainsaw to part of your property? And you wandered downstairs. John Ruddy. Pete, John, John, John Ruddy's never going, you know, I don't think John Ruddy is going to take a chainsaw. I, I bet Dave Besson wouldn't no, do it either. I, he doesn't strike, he, he strikes me as more of a passive aggressive note through I the door. So. I think Ben Foster would be incredibly reasonable and go, well, I didn't really like the lake view anyway. It's just a body of water. <laughs> Hope Solo would definitely do it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that is true. And Peter Shilton might not do it, but he'd certainly talk about it a lot. <laughs> it's, it's fine. He wouldn't be able to get up high enough to get to the garage. No, that, that, that is true, isn't it? Um, Anthony says, can we get a mention of the Cinderella story in the US Open Cup tonight? Second Division Sacramento Republic beat Sporting Kansas City with a Penenka in the shootout. Hashtag a cup that still has magic. You absolutely can, Anthony. Congratulations to everyone at Sacramento Republic. Um, uh, Jack says, I'm looking for a full apology on the next pod for Grant Holt hating. Um, quote, a buffalo with the feet of a ballerina. Watch this goal versus Everton. Uh, he's even queued it up for me at the right point on YouTube. Such was his eagerness for me to watch Grant Holt's very skillful goal for Norwich against Everton. It was. And maybe I should continue comparing Alessia Russo to Grant Holt. Um, uh, also, an apology from me to many people pointed out, the guy who said she in the wire was Senator Claire Davis, not Bunk. It is 15 years since I watched The Wire. I'm amazed I could remember the name of any character. But yeah, my apologies. I, I was Senator- listening to that part and I, I winced when you said that. <laughs> my apologies to Senator Clay Davis. Jack says, as a Villa fan, I've listened to Jordan Jarrett Bryan and respected his opinions on us, Smith and others. I've bristled but respected. He's had some odd hot takes, but they're his opinion to which he's entitled. But he crossed the line with not liking tiramisu. Hashtag outrage. Michael says, can we talk about Jordan Jarrett Bryan not liking Robocop? So it was a strange choice of film. I don't I don't recall thinking Robocop was particularly good. Does anybody want to stand up and defend Robocop here? I have no strong feelings about Robocop either way. It was a decent movie, but <laughs> it did a job. Yeah. Didn't it? it was a good hole. It was the league catamole of of movies, wasn't it? Um anyway, oh well, finally Shane says, Does Barry reckon it's inevitable now that it'll be up to Offaly once more to stop this Kerry team making it five in a row? What sport are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about Gaelic football, in right. which Offaly famously stopped Kerry doing an unprecedented five in a row uh, back in 1982. And I don't think Offaly have troubled an All-Ireland final since. So um, I don't really follow Gaelic football. Um, I'm a hurling snob, far more skillful. Uh, enjoyable viewing spectacle. Can I just request that the Guardian Football Weekly stop shoving hurling and Gaelic football <laughs> down my throat. I've had enough. You absolutely can. It will never be mentioned again, Tim. Uh, that'll do for today. Um, thanks, Tim. My pleasure, as always. Enjoy the, enjoy the final. Thanks, Salon. Thank you. And you enjoy the double Wembley. Oh, no, it's not. Enjoy the King Power Wembley double. Um, uh, Barry, cheers. Thank you, Max. Uh, thanks Benny thank you Uh, we'll be back on Monday Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove our executive producer is Christian Bennett this is The Guardian